This is WCSU 411, and I'm Paul Steinmetz with the podcast that brings you all the information about what's really going on at Western Connecticut State University. It's like a backstage tour with the stars. Today, we bring you upcoming events with co-host Chantel Williams, an interview with history professor Dr. Kevin Gutzman talking about what happened 400 years ago in America, as well as a new segment called In the Stacks with Director of Library Services, Veronica Knausis, and a Science Beat segment with our super scientist, Dr. Rada Krell. Pete Puccio is our engineer. Pete, have you figured out what Dr. Krell's talking about today? Uh, yes, it's a timely uh, holiday-themed Science Beat. Yeah, so uh, what holiday's coming up? Mm, I don't know. I got no, I got no jokes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a Halloween-specific Science Beat. So you got a little over a week to uh, take advantage of, of what the science building has to offer here. So it's scary and spooky. You could say that. Yeah. Okay, let's start. <laughs> History professor Dr. Kevin Gutzman is writing his sixth book. He's an expert on James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, and he doesn't shy away from an argument. Recently, the New York Times published a series called Project 1619, focusing on the year the slaves were first brought to America. Dr. Gutzman wrote a response for online magazine called Law and Liberty that explains his view of the events of that year and of the founders as humans and politicians. All right, I'm here with Dr. Kevin Gutzman, professor of history at Western Connecticut State University. Professor Gutzman. Why did you uh, decide to write this response to the 1619 Project? Well, the 1619 Project was introduced with a statement that the goal of the project was to, quote, reframe American history, unquote. And so I thought that the direction in which the project was intended to push our understanding of American history was flawed and the flaws needed to be highlighted. That's why I wrote the essay that I did. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go through some of the flaws that you pointed out in your essay. Uh, one of them was about the intentions uh, and maybe the intentions slash flaws of the uh, some of the founding now, as I think of the Constitution and the Declaration of, the Indepen of Independence and the men who uh, put them together, I think of them as glorious documents, the foundation of America and um, democracy and the best government in the that the world has seen, et cetera. And I also think about, uh, though, the flaws that um, were not dealt with uh, in those documents. One was slavery, one was how American Indians were treated in the United States, and one of the claims in or arguments in 1619 Project was that uh, the men who wrote these documents, say the, uh, um, not the Constitution, but the Declaration of Independence, uh, were um, not uh, um, did not consider slavery and were uh, fine with having it continue in the night in the United States, the new United States. And you uh, point out that that isn't uh, actually true. 
Right. Well, the claim is made in the 1619 Project that the assertion in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal, they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights and so on, was a lie. That was a lie from the beginning. The people who wrote that didn't mean it. And this is actually entirely false. In fact, at the time of independence, all 13 states had slavery. They'd, they'd all had slavery. And by the time the people who were responsible for leading the revolution died, all of the states north of um, the, the most slavery-invested states had put slavery either untrained to being abolished or actually they had abolished it. Beside which, um, the people who wrote the Declaration of Independence were personally committed to the end of slavery. And so if you take the five men who were on the committee that the Congress delegated the task of drafting the Declaration of Independence, um, Robert R. Livingston from New York doesn't seem to have left any evidence in his own writing about his opinion about such things, except that he did sign the Declaration of Independence, and he did approve it as a member of the committee with that general claim about the uh, philosophical uh, integrity of individuals. The other four people who were on that committee, each of them took extremely important steps against slavery. So, for example, Connecticut's own Roger Sherman is one of the five people on the committee. He wrote the 1784 law that abolished slavery in Connecticut. John Adams of Massachusetts it was the chairman of the committee. He wrote the 1780 Massachusetts Constitution, which coincidentally is today the oldest operative constitution in the world. Um, and it was read within a couple of years of being implemented by a Massachusetts court as having abolished slavery in Massachusetts. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, of course, the oldest member of Congress, the oldest member of the committee, the most famous man in America when the war started, was president of an abolition society in Pennsylvania, that sub in Philadelphia, that submitted a, an anti-slavery petition to the first session of the U.S. Congress under the U.S. Constitution. And Thomas Jefferson uh, took more discreet steps against the institution of slavery than anybody else in that period. Uh, so I'm probably going to forget some things, but he's the fellow who wrote the law, the first draft of the law that banned slavery from what we now think of as the Midwest, what in those days was the Northwest. He also wrote a, a bill that would have banned slavery from all the Western states, including today's Deep South. It failed by one vote in Congress. Uh, he was president in 1806 when he uh, called on Congress in his State of the Union message to, to send him a bill that would ban slave imports. And Congress did that in 1807. He signed it into law, and it went into effect on the morning of January 1, 1808, which was the earliest moment that the Constitution allowed Congress to ban slave imports. He also, Jefferson, wrote the most influential anti-slavery book of the 18th century in America. Um, he hired the first black man ever employed by the federal government. He, as I said, I'm probably going to forget things, um, but his general record was that slavery needed to go, and if he had anything to do with it, it would go. 
And, you know, I think what people tend to do in looking at bygone politicians, especially these particular bygone politicians, is to think, all right, each of them was omnipotent. He didn't immediately do what he said he'd like to see happen eventually. And so he must have been lying or a hypocrite or something. And the fact is, of course, that one reason why we uh, admire the people who made the American Revolution is what they set up was a Republican society, one in which, for example, people in even the highest political offices like John Adams and Thomas Jefferson um, had limited power. They they weren't omnipotent. They couldn't snap their fingers, which is the way that uh, serfdom was eliminated in Russia. The, the emperor just announced one day, all right, no more serfdom. Hmm. Um, they had to persuade people. And actually, one other thing that I left off the list of Jefferson's anti-slavery steps was in 1769, when he first entered the House of Burgesses, he was the sole co-sponsor of a bill that would have meant the abolition of slavery in Virginia. And he, looking back on this from decades later, described what happened. He said uh, that the sponsor, the fellow who had written the bill, sat and Jefferson sat as all day long one after another of the Burgesses got up and attacked the author of the bill. They called him an enemy to his his country. They they just lambasted him. And Jefferson said, well, I realized at that point that your typical Virginian was not ready just to abolish slavery. So um, if you were a Republican uh, politician and you thought slavery needed to, to go, you were going to have to do what you were able to do when the opportunity arose. And even the things I've just listed obviously were extremely significant. So I think it's unfair to say, it's just false to say that when they signed their names to the statement that all men are created equal and they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that they were lying. They weren't lying. They thought so. Mm -hmm. And they acted on it. The... uh I guess overriding theme of the 1619 project was that uh, racial inequality in the United States is a uh, not just a burden on uh, society, but a um, uh, a black mark on American society that uh, still resonates. Uh, uh, there's still a, many of the problems of the country come from um, racial uh, disparity and hatred, et cetera. Um, what's your uh, position on that, that it came from the uh, uh, and 1619 Project is saying it was slavery. Slavery was the uh, original sin, and we're still suffering from it, and uh, it can't be uh, cured without dramatic uh, changes even now? Well, I have several things to say about that. First, it happens maybe by coincidence that for years in my introductory American history survey course on the United States to 1877, I have made a lot of the year 1619. 1619 was a very important year. For one thing that happened in 1619 in Virginia was that for the first time ever, there was a legislative body with a elected representatives. There had never been such a thing in the Western Hemisphere before 1619 in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Another thing that happened in 1619 in Virginia was that that very first um, session of the Virginia General Assembly decided that the King's Church was going to be Virginia's church. 
And uh, New Englanders take note, they had the first official Thanksgiving uh, celebration in any of the Anglophone colonies in Virginia in 1619. That was actually at Berkeley Plantation, which is the home of the Harrison family, one of the four or five most eminent political families in America. So if you want to say the reason 1619 is significant is slavery, then you've decided, well, republicanism and Christianity aren't important in the American story. And another thing to notice about saying that 1619 in Virginia is important because slavery is we don't actually know that those people were slaves. Mm -hmm. It's possible they were. It's possible they were indentured servants. There used to be a kind of consensus in the scholarship that they were indentured servants, and now it's a little bit unclear. So um, that's that's one thing. Um, I think, of course, it's true that the history of race relations in in America is the the least. Um, the, the most problematic part of American history. However, to awaken to this fact in 2019 and then tell people, well, something needs to be done to make things better, betrays a certain lack of awareness, I think. Even for somebody my age, it's obvious that things have improved. And if you, in my lifetime, I'm 56, and if you, of course, have the, the slightest familiarity with how America looked 100 years ago in this relation or how it looked 150 years ago in this relation, you can see that in general things have been getting better. So I, I don't think I need to point to various measures by which it's clear that things are getting better. And um, for example, um, one point I made in an essay I wrote about the 1619 Project is a couple, well, now it's a few weeks ago, one of the major presidential candidates made an offhand comment about having cooperated with significant segregationist senators to good effect on other issues in the Senate in the 1970s and 80s. And immediately there was just this huge caterwauling in the media about how completely unacceptable it was that he would say this. And what this showed is ironically, how much things have improved. Because a lot of people below a certain age couldn't imagine that when I was in college, this is the time he was talking about, there were actual racists, avowed open racists, who held extremely important positions in the U.S. Senate, right? Mm -hmm. Now that's impossible. Mm -hmm. So have things improved in our lifetime? Well, James Eastland and Herman Talmadge wouldn't be elected to the U.S. Senate from Mississippi and Georgia. They wouldn't be elected to the U.S. Senate in 2019. Mm -hmm. So this, uh, the shockingness of it for, for young people who don't actually remember those, I remember those two guys yeah. really well, right? Mm -hmm. They were extremely important people. One was president pro tem of the Senate. One was, and he was a Judiciary Committee chairman for like 20 years. Mm. And the other guy was the Agriculture Committee chairman for a long time. Um, 
there's actually a, a, a an American aircraft carrier named for James Stennis, really? uh, who was uh, Eastland's junior colleague from Mississippi. Um, actually, I read recently a, an account of Stennis and Eastland at Jimmy Carter's uh, campaign kickoff for president in 1976. The two of them were there. And after they, uh, Carter got through making a few comments about his support from Eastland and Stennis, one of the um, reporters present said to President Carter, well, do you think there's anything maybe a little bit awkward about having uh, support from two of the most forthright segregationists in the Congress be highlighted in your campaign kickoff? And uh, Carter said, well, I don't believe that the t- these two senators have opposed civil rights. And Eastland immediately said, I never voted for a civil rights bill. And, and Stennis said, I never did either. No. Right? So <laughs> just like, like that. It took two seconds. So, um, again, even the 1980s, in this sense, are a foreign country. Mm-hmm. That's how much better things are. Mm-hmm. And, again, we, we wouldn't expect, even in Georgia and Mississippi, which were centers of slavery and segregation, that there could be any such person elected to Congress today. So mm-hmm. there you go. It's just... It's highly unhistorical, the 1619 Project, I think. Mm-hmm. We're going to wake up one day and say, is there anything wrong in America? Well, here, here is a problem. Okay, somebody needs to notice, as if nobody had ever noticed. Right. It, do you uh, see any value in a project like that in a uh, newspaper that's uh, speaking to uh, the lay public, not historians, to... Um, I don't know, bring up this subject and make it, uh, uh, um, try to make it part of the daily conversation. I have the impression that it has been part of the daily conversation. Hmm. I can't really remember when it wasn't part of the daily conversation. The 1619 Project's director said that she hoped the project would, quote, reframe American history. Well, uh, I don't like that idea mm-hmm. because that's not the main thing in American history. You know, even when we criticize the country for its history in regard to race relations, we're doing so from the point of view of people who take the good things about the country for granted, right? So, why is it so problematic that we've had this? formerly extremely horrible and and over time less and less bad but still lamentable racial history in the country well because that's not what the country stands for and everybody knows what the country stands for you know there's a reason why millions of people want to come here even if it's not legal they want to, mm-hmm. millions of people want to come here uh if if we if the country deserved to be framed in terms of racial oppression then that wouldn't be true, mm-hmm. right? And, and no matter how much the New York Times tries to change the standard account of American life and history, people aren't going to buy it. They're still mm-hmm. going to be wanting to come here. Mm-hmm. So as your family and mine did, mm-hmm. right? That's right. So I think that the 1619 Project is poorly conceived, and uh, it is true that there needs to be attention to the racial history of the country. and in my courses there is mm-hmm. but it's not the main thing mm-hmm. in your essay you said 
the best way to um, deal with a way to deal with the issue of race in America is to accentuate the positive, to cultivate fellow feeling, to see fellow citizens is precisely that, not to wallow in identity politics, constantly picking the scabs off half-healed wounds. As a historian, do you see um, hope that there can be um, some meeting of the minds on this and uh, continued discussion and con- so we can continue to move forward and make things better? Again, I think there has been meeting of the minds on this. Mm-hmm. I, don't th- I can't think of a single prominent politician today who stands for preferring white people in public life, in the government, in any way. Mm-hmm. So how has that happened? Well, because we've generally become acculturated to the idea that America doesn't stand for that, right? Mm-hmm. We, we actually won't tolerate it. So, again, the idea that, well, we need to have a project, we should try to think of a way to address this, just so assumes that all the effort that's gone into improving things never was made. Mm -hmm. And that's just false. Mm -hmm. When the revolution, when the American Revolution occurred, as I said before, every colony, now state, had slavery— and each of them it had come to have it as a result of its own distinct history as a colony. And then although the federal government would eventually end up dealing with the matter directly, there also were state-level efforts while the revolution was going on, right? And as I mentioned a few minutes ago mm-hmm. that even before the revolution, it wasn't only in that 1769 bill that would have meant eventually the end of slavery in Virginia, that Jefferson and other allies of his were working against it in Virginia, which, by the way, Virginia is a mid-sized state halfway up the East Coast now, but in those days, it was far the biggest. It Mm -hmm. included the whole Midwest all the way to Wisconsin, so Mm -hmm. it was just a gigantic space. People were doing other things about this before the revolution even began, and one complaint that they had about the tide of the crown was that the king was interfering in their attempts to rein in this institution even then. Mm -hmm. So it's just wrong to imply that, wow, look, 2019, we're so much, we're so morally superior to all of our ancestors because we're the people who finally realized we need to reframe American history and actually think about this problem, Mm -hmm. right? Which 1769 is 250 years ago when Jefferson was and his colleague and mm-hmm. cousin Richard Bland were trying to address this in the House of Burgesses. So your essay has gotten a little play since you wrote it a last week or two weeks ago, right? I think it has, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been in, uh, did you say, uh, 1,200 different, uh, it's been... Um, uh, shared 1,200 times on or in different sites? Or it's over 400, it? 1,400, I mean, shares uh, on the original site, and then scads of other media have been interested in it and so on. So, This is your first podcast about it, though. Uh, I, th- it's, I think it's the second time I've talked yeah. about it in media, yeah. yeah. In the last couple of weeks? Uh, and, yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So... People are interested in this idea. Mm-hmm. People are interested in America's 
you know, the ongoing residue of slavery and segregation. Um, and they're interested in ameliorating the situation. Uh, and they're also interested in knowing more about what they seem not to know much about now, which is what the revolutionaries did about it. I wonder how many people listening to this in Connecticut will know that Roger Sherman, the Connecticut man who was on the committee that wrote the Declaration of Independence, wrote the Connecticut law that got rid of slavery in Connecticut. I bet most people have never heard that. Right. No. So, so uh, that, that's a problem, I think. We don't have very good historical instruction uh, in some of our schools today, mm-hmm. and I could wish we knew more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing all this with us and having this uh, very interesting discussion. You're welcome. As if science weren't interesting enough all by itself, sometimes we got to link it to a holiday to uh, get people interested and pay attention. That's what Dr. Rader Krell is going to do today. So just in time for Halloween, in the science building, uh, the anatomy and physiology class has just launched into their work with skeletons. And so when I walked in the lab, um, there are three carts, and each cart has a pile of bones, a pile of skulls, pile of femurs and leg bones and a pile of humerus and other arm bones. And so the students are actively learning about the different bones. They're learning about differences between female and male bones. And then they're challenged to put the skeleton back together. So they essentially have to do the skeleton puzzle and see if they can match up the right bones and the right place, males, females, uh, and also getting the right Uh, right side of the body bones and the left side of the body bones uh, all put together correctly. So it's a fun, hands-on activity. Some of the bones are actual bones. Some of them are model bones. Uh, And by the end, they have learned a ton about uh, the very fundamental part of human anatomy, uh, the structural thing that keeps us all intact. By the end of the skeleton building activity, uh, they usually have a very good understanding of uh, fundamental aspects of human anatomy. Hello, my fellow listeners. This is Gabriel Jones reminding you that WCSU 411 is brought to you by Election Connection. Don't forget that Election Pre-Show is on October 29th at 7 p.m. And Election Night is on November 5th from 8 to 11. You can stream us on wcsu.edu slash live on radio at WXCI 91.7 FM, as well as Comcast Channel 97. On next week's episode, an interview with Election Connection's own Nick Del Mastro and Andrew Coker. Thanks, all you lovely folks. We'll see you on the 5th. Today, we're introducing a new segment uh, with Veronica Kanausis, the Director of Library Services. That is your title, right? It's a, it's a longer title than that, but Director of Library Services is fine. <laughs> That's what I've always known you That's as. That's fine. And she is going to come in every so often and tell us about either some books she's reading, because she's a librarian and she knows what she's talking about, <laughs> or the services you can get at the library that you might not know about because things are changing a lot over there. Veronica's come in and uh, made a lot of changes and improvements and um, survived all that and still working on changes and improvements. So uh, we're going to get an introduction to the library uh, every so often. 
And uh, so you can go visit there. Absolutely. And you can visit in person or you can visit virtually as mm. well. So we'll be talking about both kinds of resources, the physical resources, books you can check out, um, and also online resources that you can use for your um, academic success. And really, at this point, the library is more of a collection of services. So we may veer off into um, how you can access the Writing Center services and the Tutoring Resource Center services from the Haas Library and the Ansel Common services in the Young Library. So, um, you know, we're trying to become a place where students can get all of their academic needs met and also um, a place where they can you know, just do some self-learning, the things that they want to know about, how they can get information about uh, um, topics that they're interested in even beyond their classrooms. So, Can they buy a bagel there and then take can, it into the... Yeah. And a smoothie. The smoothies are really good. Um, so the bagels and the smoothies and the coffee, they're all available to you. Um, and, and that is an effort to make the environment more conducive to the way students study today, which is kind of more social and more um, relaxed than you and I. I'm looking at you. We're both of a certain age. Uh, the way that we learned to study growing up. So, <laughs> yeah, Pete yeah, wants if, to say something about if our I age. May, uh, of course, my heart skipped a beat when you said smoothie in the library. I'm picturing the sound of a blender, and it like yeah, triggered me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great sometimes, but um, <laughs> but um, I think I said as another time that when I we spoke, um, I I said that there, we do still have those quiet study areas because we know that that students are also looking for those quiet study areas in the library and if you the higher you go up in the Haas library the quieter it gets so on the fifth floor is a designated quiet study space um, and if you are studying up there and, and people are getting rowdy or loud um, there is a number for people to text um, and we will come up and take care of it um, but the lower floors especially the first floor you really can't expect it to be quiet there's just too much activity on that floor so have you always wanted to be a librarian? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, interestingly, I kind of fell into it, which is a way a lot of people get their careers. Um, I did. Um, I majored in Italian in college, and I was an Italian teacher for a very short no period kidding. of time. Yes, it's true. Um, teaching. And I did not get along very well. So, um, so I was looking around for other things that I could do, and. Um, literally, my mother-in-law said, uh, looks like being a librarian would be a good thing to do. Why don't you get your master's? I was living in Connecticut. I went to Southern, and it just turned out to be, like, the perfect profession for me. So, um, But it really was just kind of chance that I ended up. I also couldn't decide what kind of master's degree I was going to get. I couldn't really focus on any one thing. And being a librarian lets you focus on everything. Mm -hmm. So I can do all the study and I get to do all the research without actually having to pursue one um, one topic for the rest of my life. You know, a lot of times when you get a master's degree or a Ph.D., you are really studying one thing. I am way too scattered to be able to focus on one thing for that long. So, <laughs> And as you say, that's how libraries have evolved, yeah. too. Books are great, but they aren't just books anymore. They're right. all these other services. Right. Yeah, and we have to respond to the way students are using, especially, um, obviously, traditionally aged students are using the resources that we have. Um, one of the things that we have invested heavily in is the electronic resources, e-books and um, the databases. You really can't search for information in a library without using 
using a database. Um, so we work very hard to try and get connect those databases to um, the resources that are um, going to be as useful um, for students as possible. And the ebooks are, are generally. Um, used because they are available 24 7 365 days a year um, they provide or they present some challenges because um, one of the things that we're not happy about the, the library profession in general is the way the ebook market has developed which is different platforms and different ways of accessing and it's very confusing to the end user um, and it's not as seamless and streamlined as we would like it to be so um, we continue to kind of push back on that industry to try and get uh, some standardization so that it's very predictable. You know, everybody knows how to use a book. Mm -hmm. You walk up to the shelf, you pull it off the shelf, you open it. Um, very analog, but very predictable um, and very steady. And portable. And portable. Um, and ebooks can be too. It mm -hmm. just is there. You have to jump through a lot of hoops in order to get access to it. So there's actually a, a lot of... Um, it's not quite at the legal stage yet, but um, some publishers have just announced that not only are they restricting access to their e-materials, but um, they are not going to sell to libraries anymore because mm. they're not, quote unquote, making enough money, which has caused a big uproar in the library world. I know uproars in library worlds don't, <laughs> don't sound like they go together, but they do. It's very political. It's very um, the they've always there's always been a clash between the publishing industry and libraries because the publishing industry wants to make as much money as possible and libraries want to give everything away for free mm -hmm. so there's there's no love lost between those two we want the content and we want to give it to our users um as freely as possible and they that is obviously goes against the the profit motive of publishing so we're in a very interesting period right now, and, and see how that how, see, seeing how that's going to develop is is going to be um, could be very disruptive for the publishing industry, mm. and could be very disruptive for libraries as well mm. um, as we try and 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 get more content for our our students and our users. So, if a student here is uh, confused about something, <laughs> uh, or having trouble having getting access to something, they can come into the library, and a librarian will help them. Right? Yeah, and they could also um, text us, or yeah. they can uh, send us email. They, there are a number of ways they can get in touch with us, which are all listed on our, our library website. Um, and yes, yeah, somebody will get back to them about how to do that. But I can understand often, I, I feel like we all do this if we are presented with a, a challenge um, Sometimes we just walk away from that challenge and try and find something else. Um, but I would encourage you, I would encourage students that if they are, are finding it a challenge to use e-materials, to come in and talk to somebody and we'll get it straightened out and then it'll be smooth sailing after that. Um, so that they, if you do it early in your college career, then it, it, it makes it easier for the rest of your college career. If you wait a little bit longer, it gets more frustrating. Um, and sometimes you just want that piece of material and mm. you just, <laughs> um, so I get it. I get it that it, it can be really frustrating, but um, if they come in, they'll get all the, it'll get all that smoothed out. We'll figure it all out. So yeah, and that's what librarians do. I mean, we, um, I think, people don't know about, I'm going to use the word turmoil, I don't really mean the ter turmoil, but um, libraries have been, are, are perceived as these quiet places where people sit and kind of contemplate, but um, there's a whole lot of 
um, complex work that goes into making libraries look like that. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of activity in the background, both electronically and physically, of uh, uh, moving things around, getting things in the proper places, describing things properly so that when they're presented to students and other users, that it all makes sense. So um, there's a lot of um, preparation that goes into making it look easy mm -hmm. <laughs> um and and we've been obviously we're more successful at that when the item is physical because it's you know doesn't really change or move or whatever but um when they're electronic sometimes they're a little harder to chase down but we still have a lot of work to do to to make that seamless and we we continue to work on it and the only reason the only way we know things aren't working is if somebody tells us so mm. if you reach a a, a stopping point it's much better, even if you don't have time to wait, to let us know that you've run into a problem so that we can address the problem. Because if you've run into it, probably a hundred other people have run into right. it, and we don't know unless somebody kind of comes to tell us that. Um, it's impossible for us to check every single thing. All right, so you'll be back as a regular yeah. contributor to this podcast, telling us not about only about how to navigate the library, but also uh, some good books to read, too. Yeah, we'll talk about good books to read. We'll talk about um, resources that are kind of hidden, but maybe super useful to students when they're starting their research. Um, we'll talk about maybe people who are, are good to know, good to get to know in the library, um, and just kind of uh, some great ideas on how to get the most out of your education here at Western. Great. Thanks, Veronica. Thank you. Now, recorded live from the basement of Whitehall, our star student, Chantel Williams, brings all the events on campus to us. What's going on, Chantel? Hi, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> we're keeping up with the events for fall and for Halloween, and mm -hmm. then now we're starting to go into Thanksgiving, so wow. that's that's exciting. Mm -hmm. But we have a couple of different types of events happening, so that's fun. Um, there's like just, I don't know, a variety of different events happening this week. So after Even <laughs> after the big thing with homecoming? Yes, there's even more coming. On. We don't slow up at all. We're just going to keep it keep it going, you know? So it's like homecoming for every week for us. So yeah, that's there's a good always way. something um, going on. So we're going to start with our first event, and which is happening Friday, um, October the 25th. And we're having a regional um, marketing conference. The Western Marketing Association, along with Quinnipiac University, will host a regional AMA conference for featuring professional speakers and networks and workshops. And um, they're going to be talking about marketing strategies um, when talking about competition and how to get yourself out there above the competition. Um, so that workshop will be taking place from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. in room 218 um, on West Side Classroom Building. So that should be interesting. It's always important to get yourself out there for marketing and to beat the competition. So you want to make sure like right. you stand out from the crowd. So that's good. And it's a, a whole it's a whole day of workshops going on. So that's I think it'll be yeah, I think it'd be interesting. We're teaming up with another university, so that's always awesome. Mm -hmm. I love when we connect and we branch out to other places. So um, that should be interesting. So yeah, you don't have to be a marketing major in order to attend this. That's right. Because you can market yourself and no matter what what um, field you're in, I think that's important to know. Um, Social workers need marketing. Just yes, like we network. Else. We try. We it's so important for us to network because we. Um we need to build a rapport and we need to build connections and different relationships with different organizations because at the end of the day, we all need to come together mm -hmm. to benefit the community, to benefit our clients. So, you know, it's, it's hard to um, 
find resources for your client when you don't even know what resources are available and um, just building connections. You never know who you're going to meet, um, what opportunities may come up. That's right. So that's why I always try to like, I need to get some cards made so I can just, you know, you <laughs> get it out there. But I, every, no matter where I go, I try to like, um, you know, network and just meet different people and try to get their information because you just never know where mm -hmm. that opportunity, just speaking to that one person where it may lead you. That's right. So I think it's important. So it's for all majors and I it doesn't matter if you're a nursing major, psychology, marketing, business. It, music could be music. good, too. Or yes, De and definitely music. And I think that's one that people don't really realize. Mm -hmm. But I think in music, you have to market yourself um, the most yeah. because there's a lot of musicians out there. There's a lot of singers and things like that. And the way you market yourself, you never know how you're going to get discovered and by who. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot, if you like look at the stories, like some of the top singers and some of the top um, music musicians that come out, they've connected with different people in different ways. So it's not like they just, you know, automatically just started out of nowhere. They were able to connect to different people that led them to different paths. So right. like, I think it's cool. So yeah. That's good. Yeah, so that should be fun. So, again, that's Friday, October the 25th, um, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. It is an all-day event. Um, you don't have to stay all day, but, I mean, I think once you're in there, you're going to be excited to hear more about the workshops and things like that. Mm -hmm. And that's going to take place room 218, Westside um, Classroom Building. So that should be interesting. Yeah. And then there's going to be another workshop, but this is brought to you by the Career Success Center, and it's called Designing Your Life Workshop. So this kind of goes hand in hand with the marketing. You're going to, you know, design your life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, that's taking place also Friday, October the 25th, um, and that's taking place 8.30 a.m. to noon, room 300 on Westside's uh, campus center. So that should be um, interesting, and it's free for students and faculty, so you can come and um, design your life. Just basically like a blueprint of your life, I mm -hmm. guess. And it's like always, it's okay if you stray away from the blueprint, because again, different things may come up. Something better may come up that wasn't in your blueprint, that you might have a different path. But it's always good to have an idea of what your next move or what you think you want your next move to be, so you can start planning for it now. Right. I know that's what I do. I try to start planning i'm an overthinker so i like to overthink everything and my friends constantly tell me like chantelle you know you gotta like slow down a little bit i'm like no because every move i make from now is affecting me for my future but there is like they're just like you know you're stressing me out <laughs> like <laughs> because i we're, we're here and i'm already thinking about graduation and grad school and things like that but that's just the way my mind operates because i'm constantly thinking about my next move and how my moves that i'm making now are going to affect that so. and you're right I, I, yeah. Tell so. your friends you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I have to tell them. <laughs> They're going to be like, you know, I should tell what, what in the world. But I'm going to be like, listen, listen, what we do now is very important about our future. We're, this is like the foundation for our future. So if we don't get it right now, who knows what is going to happen in the future. So, But it's always nice to just think about your next move. Like, even if you're not acting on it yet, which you kind of are, we are acting on our next mm -hmm. steps, whether we think about it or not. But um, it's just always just to, good to have, like, just your next steps in your head, I feel. So, yep. yeah, my I'm just going to stick to my overthinking. You know, maybe some things I don't have to overthink, you know, plan out a whole meal in two, two weeks in advance or whatever. But I, I can overthink some things. So. That <laughs> does sound good. like overthinking. <laughs> just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I, I can do it to the extreme level, you know. <laughs> but, but freshmen and uh, uh, sophomores and juniors should go to this thing, too, yes. not just seniors no, about to No, not graduate. just seniors. I, and, it's again, it's good to start early. Think If you... Make the blueprint in your head starting if you're a freshman and you have an idea of 
you know, the career that you want, but you're not really sure, you know, how to go about it or how to get to the level that you want to get to, it's important to go to workshops such as this so mm -hmm. you can just plan out your ideas. Again, it's okay if you stray away from that because life happens and most likely it's not going to go as, as mm -hmm. you plan all the time. But in a lot of times that's that works for your benefit, mm -hmm. you know, and that's a, that's a prime example for me. I thought I was going to be a teacher, mm -hmm. but then my whole world changed when I switched to social work and it switched for the better. So I was just like, okay, this is not what I had originally planned, but it's not a bad plan. And then from there, I just built myself up again. So it was just like, you know, you just, it's good to start early. Right. Just to get the, you know, mental in there, start thinking about it. And then, you know, things come up as they come up and then you handle them and then you keep it moving. That's mm -hmm. just, that's life, I think. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's just life. a general idea of life. <laughs> so I think it's great. So again, that's happening October the 25th, Friday, um, 8.30 a.m. to noon. So you, that's a shorter, um, Workshop, so you will have time to go to the other workshop mm -hmm. if you desire, and that's taking place in room three hundred on West Side. So that's that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes, so all of those great workshops to just build our life up. That's basically what we're trying to do. That's what you do here at West yes. <laughs> So you come out of it as as a better person. And I talk to a lot of alum, alumni and um, that have previously went to workshops such as this have stayed active with the career center and things like that and they're skyrocketing like, mm -hmm. so they're doing very well for themselves um, and they're not feeling overwhelmed because it's not like they don't know what to do after graduation they have a plan they have it set in mind so they're just putting it into action so that's good that is good yes my favorite day is coming up it's world pasta day <laughs> wow. Um, and it's also um, October the 25th. And it's, um, hap well, Sodexo is having, um, celebrating World Pasta Day from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on West Side. Um, so they're going to have, I, I don't really know what the menu is, but I'm sure they're going to have pasta since it's World Pasta Day. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> and <better>. I think, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I think they're going to have a very, like, a different variety of uh, pastas. Usually when there's, like, a national holiday or food holiday, they really go all out. So mm -hmm. I love that. Um, I love pasta because I'm not a seafood person so I feel like since I'm not a seafood person I eat pasta all the time like that's always my second option when I go to like because my my whole family is seafood people really? so I don't really know what happened to me but um it's just like it's just not my thing so I always look for the pasta options either it's chicken parm or ziti or something like that whatever the pasta option is that's what I get like when mm -hmm. I go to Red Lobster I get pasta right who gets pasta at Red Lobster but they're their Cajun chicken Alfredo was great. Okay. So, yes, it's really good. So, <laughs> I get it from there. So. And do your family members um, criticize you about They do. I think they're so used to it, though, because mm. I remember when I was little, and they used to try to get me to, like, eat shrimp and things like that, and I'm just like, I do not want this. Like, it's not the worst-tasting thing, but it's just, like, I just don't, I just don't care for it hmm. so i've always been the oddball like when we go to the, their favorite places in city island mm -hmm. and they go to the seafood place and it's just so nice it's like seafood heaven and i look at the menu i'm like i don't know what i want and they looked at me like like i would get like a cheeseburger or something like, you know like you go to this fancy restaurant this fancy seafood restaurant and she's ordering a cheeseburger you know? it was probably <laughs> like, frozen too. Right? so it's like what in the world but um yeah i always love the pasta options and that's what that's my go-to so i anybody, agree with you yeah. nothing wrong with pasta <laughs> nothing so and then you could also you know get pasta with seafood you know mm -hmm. so it's you know it's pasta's good it's very versatile you know <laughs> it's very diverse you food. can get gluten free yes yeah, so i that's always my go-to so i love um national pasta day like that's my favorite so i think it's gonna be really good i hope they have like alfredo and all of that good stuff so um 
Yeah, I think that's going to be. Are you going to eat pasta for breakfast, too? I, no, I'm not going to eat pasta for breakfast. My cousin, though, he is a huge pasta fan, bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he will eat pasta morning, noon, and night. He will eat pasta all around. <laughs> and every time my mom makes spaghetti, he was like, Auntie, save me a plate because I, I, I want some. He will eat spaghetti in the morning. He will eat spaghetti at any time of night. So th- this day, he's going to have a ball. He, he's going to just mm. live in his best life because he's going to have pasta all around. <laughs> so <laughs> that should be that should be. Fun. I so. didn't even know it was a thing. Yeah. Honestly, when you go on every day, I like to check Google because there's always like a national holiday, like some type of national yeah. holiday. So it's like National Dog Day, One Day, and a National Cat Day, National Girlfriend Day, Boyfriend Day, Kids Day. There is a National Kids Day, but the parents, I believe, try to hide that because, you know, <laughs> they're like, listen, you guys That's have right. enough. You guys have Christmas and birthdays and stuff like that. But there are like different, there's like a National Grilled Cheese Day, <laughs> Donut Day. <laughs> There's like a national holiday for each food item, I believe. Wow. So it's really interesting. So um and then some of the times like like donut day, Dunkin' Donuts will have like discounts on donuts and things like that. Coffee day, Starbucks, places like that will have discounts. So just just look up the national days because you never know. That's good. I don't know about pasta. I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe Olive Garden has a deal going on or something. Mm-hmm. You never know, so that's always good to always keep in mind. Like, And you can just look on Google and be like, what's the national holiday today? And it'll pop right up. And some of them are really quirky. I don't know where they came from. I don't know why somebody thought, you know, you need a national holiday for this. But um, I, I guess somebody just admired it a lot. And, they, you know what, you deserve your own national holiday. So there's nothing wrong with that. No. <laughs> so that should be interesting. And then also happening during that time, there's going to be an Oktoberfest, a jazz fest, um, happening at the Visual and Performing Arts Center on West Side. So that should be nice. You can come out and listen to some music while you're eating your pasta and call it a day. You know what I mean? That's on Friday, too? Yes. There's a lot oh going God, on on Friday, right? Happening. Yes. And then if you want to work out, there's also group fitness classes um, with Chris. That's his name. Um, so at 2 p.m. <laughs> um, on Midtown and Berkshire Hall. So there's a lot going on on Friday. There's a lot of different options. Um, if you choose to do any of them, let us know because I love feedback and things like that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> so happening on Saturday, October the 26th, um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, yeah. Now, I've watched this, I think, I watched this about like a couple of times. Um, and it's always like a big thing. I know there's like a lot of towns that do sing-alongs and things like that. So we're kind of doing something similar to that. Um, and it's going to be happening downtown. It's called the Palace Danbury. Yeah, the Palace Danbury. And they will be screening the Rocky Horror Picture Show at 8 p.m. Um, in the theater. And the location for the theater is 165 Main Street, Danbury. Um, and the Dean of Students is sponsoring this group trip for a discount cost of $15, which includes admission to the film and um, prop pack, which means, I guess, like food. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And transportation. So um, that should be fun. Um, and this is happening. And you can purchase your tickets from now um, today, tomorrow, and Friday, I believe. Um, and they just want to get as many students as they can. So that should be fun. It's a cool movie, right? Yes. And it's very popular. Like, it's just, it got popular over time. I think with mm-hmm. each generation, each generation loves that movie. So it's just like, and it's, you know, of course, it's the Halloween season. So it's a perfect time to show it. And uh, I know we're trying to get more active downtown and have more students get more involved. So um, we want to promote that as well. And this is like a perfect activity to go downtown and really experience like Main Street and things like that. Because there's a lot of different stores on there. So And it's at midnight, right? Yes. 
yeah. Mm-hmm. So that should be fun. <laughs> yeah. And the Palace Theater is cool. Yes, I heard. I haven't ever been in there, but I heard it's really nice and mm-hmm. it's really cool. And they always show like kind of um, maybe like throwback movies mm-hmm. or they also have like different speakers may come and things like that. So if you ever want to like, uh, if you're ever here on the weekend and you want something to do, I would say look up, you know, what's going on at the theater. You never know. So it's cool. When I first saw... Um, What's the name of the movie? Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror. (laughs) (laughs) I was, uh, everybody, at certain songs, people would um, light their um, cigarette lighters Uh inside the theater. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Or matchbooks. And we didn't think anything about it. Now, if one person did that, we'd run out the doors. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Because it's not safe. Don't do that. Don't they throw things at the screen and stuff too? I think like so. so. That's like or something. Some There's all yeah. kinds of weird. Everybody shows up in costume. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. and it's like when a, I think like um, when a certain word or a certain like you said like a certain <laughs> song right. comes up, certain people like it's it's very interesting. Like there's like a whole like ritual based off of like this movie when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool though. It's pretty cool, and I know like they do that for this movie and maybe Grease, like the sing along. Oh, yeah. There's certain things. Um, and like maybe different horror films like there's just certain like keywords and like I don't know it's really cool I don't know because there's like a, always like a they have a strong following which yes is, they do which is very interesting <laughs> so <laughs> and I don't know I don't know when this movie came out but I I don't know but I don't it, know, the, every year or yeah, somewhere in there oh wow every year like you know it's very popular still mm-hmm. so I was going to say it'd be fun. really interesting for, for kids now to go and see Tim Curry in that mm-hmm. role but I don't know if kids know who Tim Curry is <laughs> I don't know. He hasn't done anything in a while. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Good point. But yeah, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I think it's going to have a, a good turnout because everyone loves that movie, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, And it's like Hocus Pocus. Like they were showing Hocus Pocus here and it was fabulous because we all love Hocus Pocus. Did a lot of people show up? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people showed up. And like when I tell you, like everyone knew like every word from Hocus Pocus, that's just one of the common Halloween movies that are so popular and it's so popular that they're showing it like about 40 times. Yeah. So um, if you don't know what Hocus Pocus is uh. by the end of this season, then I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, it's just one of those movies that's um, just, just gets popular over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also happening, I believe this is happening on Friday, um, October 25th. Now this is happening at nighttime. This is the Haunted Trail, um, the Trail of Torment. And so PAC will host this. Um, so what they're doing is different clubs have the opportunity to participate in it. Um, and then the winner at the end, you know, gets a prize for their club. But um, basically you get to pick a theme, whatever scary theme that mm. you want. I know last year somebody did The Purge. The other one did like this, like just bloody, gory thing. And it was it was just different um, themes. And then mm. you walk through the trail. Um, and then each club like, has the opportunity to scare you. And it's, it's at night, so it's nice and dark, and you don't know where you're going. So, um, But someone will be there to guide you, and um, each club can participate and dress up. And it's, it's fun. You're uh, in two clubs. Are you going to do Yes. This? So um, BSU is doing it, mm. and we're doing – I don't know if you saw the movie with Jordan Peele, but it's – it's called us and mm-hmm. it's like so we were trying to figure out different ways of doing it because you know you have to have clones and stuff like that so right. the two short people are gonna be one and then so it should be very interesting i know they did it last year i was i missed out on it last year because it fell on my dad's birthday but yeah. um 
This year it doesn't, <laughs> so <laughs> that's good. <laughs> but um, last year it went really well. So I don't know. It's, it's always fun. And then if you like are not participating in a club, you can just walk through the trail. Mm-hmm. And so that's taking place on Friday, October the 25th, and that is happening at 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. So yeah. Wow. So you can come any. There's not. The, it, it doesn't happen like for that whole set time. You can come between 9 a.m. and between 12 p.m. and you can walk the trail um, there out there that whole time. 9 p.m. and 12 a.m. I mean, nine. Uh, yes, nine p.m. and twelve a.m. Yes, good. yes. So and it's supposed to be good weather too. Yes, yes, and um, that's what we were hoping for because we didn't want it to rain or anything like that. So it's supposed to be. I mean, it will be a little chilly, so bring a jacket. But I think what I noticed is I brought a jacket to the scary trail mm-hmm. and i was cold in the line but when i was going through that thing i was burning up because i was so scared and i was getting scared everywhere so you probably won't need the jacket as you're going <laughs> through the trail yeah. probably after after your nerves like die down a little bit but you're gonna find yourself getting hot because you're just nervous and you don't know what the heck is gonna pop out yeah. so it's always fun um it's fun for the clubs it's fun for the students and this is a free event so you don't have to uh mm. Yeah, you don't bring have money. To bring money, no. Yeah, that's great. So that's fun. Yeah, it's always a fun time. Um, so yeah, I'll look look forward to that. And then um, Sunday, there's gonna be a oh no Saturday, um, October 26th, WCSU field hockey. Um, we'll be having a game versus Bridgewater State University. So that should be good. You can mm-hmm. go out to that game, and that's taking place at noon um, on West Side. So it is a home game. So just go out and support our girls. And then. Um, on Monday, October the 28th, uh, my club, yay, the Black Social Workers Association will be showing um, When They See Us, and that's the four-part documentary of um, the Central Park Five. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is we're going to show the part one um, this Monday, and then the following Monday we're showing you know the rest of the parts, and we're going to have like a discussion, and we're going to have some popcorn, so there will be some treats and things like that. Um, and we're just hoping to have like a good discussion about it, because when it came out, unfortunately, like we, it was during the summertime, so yeah. we weren't in school. And we were like, oh, this would be like a good discussion topic just to hear what everyone's opinions and things like that. So we're, we're showing it, so um, feel free to come out, and it's happening in the Student Center Monday. Day, um, October 28th and from 5 p.m. to 7 so the the showing will be from 5 p.m. to 6 and then from 6 to 7 we're gonna have like a little discussion so. that's great yeah so and that's in the theater right Midtown yes campus. Midtown student student yeah Center Theater so great. all these great events so yeah and, and we're gonna see how, how it goes and I'm gonna come back with info for that because um and maybe I can get somebody that was in the audience that maybe can talk about her and things yeah. like that and oh, see that'd how be it a goes. great idea yeah so, Definitely yeah. do that. <laughs> all those great events. So enjoy National Pasta Day and, and all these workshops and then, and then get scared and go see Rocky Horror and have all it's these It's going to be a great week. It is. It really is. And great weather, too. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> great. Thanks, Chantel. Thank you. See you next week. That's it for this week. We always want to thank our producer, Scott Holpe, and engineer Pete Puccio, because without them, this podcast doesn't happen. Remember, WCSU 411 is free, so there's no reason not to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. We want you to share it with your friends and relatives, or comment on Twitter at WCSU 411. Just nice stuff, nothing negative. And that's it, I guess. For Chantel Williams, I'm Paul Steinmetz, and this is WCSU 411.